you're listening to the Glow Radio Podcast. I'm Jacqueline, a spiritual baddie and astrology nerd. You can expect raw and unfiltered conversations around trauma healing, relationships, astrology, health, and career. I'm here to share my resources so that you can truly turn your dreams into a reality. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Glow Radio. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Udo Erasmus. He is the founder of Udo's Choice, which is found in Whole Foods and many other health food stores. So I'm very excited to learn more about his story today. Welcome, Udo. Oh, glad to be on. Thank you. So first of all, how about you tell us a little bit about your story, your background, and how you came up with your company? Well, I started uh, in 1942. I was born during the Second World War in in what was Poland, was then Germany. And when I was two and a half years old, we were refugees fleeing from the communists who were chasing us in tanks and trucks uh, on dirt roads in horse-drawn hay wagons, mostly mothers with young children, because the men were all off at war. And the allies were using us as target practice. They were shooting at us from planes. There were no There was no military on those roads. So they were literally shooting refugees. And uh, I don't remember a lot of it other than the, the fear, the anxiety, the uncertainty, the you can't count on anything, the, you know, there's no, it's not safe and, and you can't trust. My mother had to leave me behind because she couldn't handle six kids. She had six kids, uh, six years and younger. So imagine what kind of a decision that would be for a mother to make is to leave couple of her kids behind right and we got back together and when I was six years old I was we were in Germany and I listened to adults argue about things that I thought as a six-year-old were really trivial so they must have been like really stupid things they were arguing about and the thought occurred to me said man there has to be a way that people can live in harmony and this kind of came out of that whole war experience why are people not living in harmony and I said there must be a way that people can live in harmony and I'm going to find out how. So that's been my driver all my life. Uh, it's, it, it, it was a gift. It was, didn't feel like a gift at the time, but it was a gift because it focused me really early on how important it is, what we do, how we spend our time. And so that's, that's, so that's the long story. I ended up uh, studying science because I, I was always trying to find out how things work because I didn't know what I could count on. And when you understand how things work, you can predict and control, right? That's what science is about. So I was doing that. And then I got into biological sciences to find out how creatures work. And then I got into psychology to find out how thinking works. And then I got into medicine for a year because I wanted to know how health works, but they only teach about disease. So I left and went back into biochemistry and genetics, because you, you learn about health in biology, because you, you learn how creatures work in natural settings. You're not, whereas medicine studies sick people. What, you, what I actually wanted to know what health is, well, then you probably should study healthy creatures. And then I was still missing something and I left university and I knew and I checked out, I, I went into a little bit of religious studies and a little bit of social psychology and, and anthropology and sociology. And 
I wasn't, what I was looking for wasn't there and I didn't know what it was. So I left university and, and eventually I got into self-knowledge because what I really needed to know is how I work. And uh, so that's basically is my background. After I started doing my practice to get, you know, like what's the idea of self-knowledge? This idea is what is in the space that my body occupies? And how do I bring my focus of awareness into that space and look around and listen into that space to see and hear and feel and experience what there is to be a human being present in their own space? Because we mostly live our lives focused out there or focused in here. And very little time is spent in any culture that I know of that you actually tap into what you're bringing into the world. <laughs> and if you don't know what you're bringing into the world, how are you going to bring it? <laughs> right? So that's, so that's my background. And then I got poisoned after I had started doing this. I got poisoned by pesticides because my marriage broke up and I wanted to kill something. I was really upset. And I took a job as a pesticide sprayer. Well, pesticides were invented only to kill things. So I did that for three years, really careless, and got poisoned and went to the doctor and said, what do you have for pesticide poisoning? She said, nothing. And that's when the penny dropped. Oh my God, my health is actually my responsibility. And so I got into self-responsible healthcare. And because I had the background, I, I went through the journals and looked for answers in health and nutrition, disease and nutrition, and ended up working with oils and then enzymes and probiotics as part of making the body work better because of uh, how we've changed oils by processing and how we destroy probiotics and enzymes that are present in nature, but get destroyed and killed when we cook our foods. And so that's kind of like, and then I started looking more at health. What else affects health? Well, everything affects health. And so I then started saying, okay, let me, let me look at everything, how it affects health, and then to create a teachable field of health based on the nature of human nature. That's, a, that's the story. Wow, that is such a unique story. I feel like I've, <clears throat> I've never heard of anyone being poisoned with pesticides before, but I feel like that's probably something that happens kind of on a smaller scale with all of us since pesticides are in everything. Right, exactly, exactly. And, and you will not hear about it on the evening news. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I feel like I can relate to you a lot because I feel like you were on the search for knowledge, which I feel like is something that I've gone through. I used to, I started out as a personal trainer. That's kind of how my health journey started. Mm. But I felt like the more knowledge that I acquired, the more I realized that there's not one method and it's really like a whole like mind, body, spirit <clears throat> journey. And I had to do a mm. lot of experimentation, like you said. Right. Right, that's true. And, it, and you think about it, there are 8 billion people who live on the planet and they all want to have a formula for, you know, for getting it, all, getting it all right. But the truth is there are 8 billion formulas because every journey is unique and personal and, and private. Mm -hmm. and especially the inner journey because you know, your sister isn't sitting inside of your body, right? And your, your brother isn't there either. And nobody's inside of you except you. So it's a, a, a journey to your own uniqueness, even though we have lots of things in common, but we're still unique as well. Totally. I love how you put that. 
So I know you have something you discovered called the thirst of the heart. Could yeah. you tell me a little bit more about that and what that is? Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't, I, I discovered it for myself. It's not a new discovery. The thirst of the heart is probably the oldest thing on the planet. And if when I talk to people about it, I have never yet met some anyone who doesn't know that feeling. What is that? It's a feeling in your chest that's like uncomfortable. And you could call it emptiness or longing or striving or separation or isolation or a feeling of loss or grief or sorrow or the blues when, you know, when, when you're, you're, your partner dumps you, <laughs> right? Or loneliness, or so there's a lot of different, different names for it, but it's always a feeling that we feel in our chest that is kind of uncomfortable, pretty powerful. And that seems to get triggered by when we lose something on the outside. So for instance, I love my grandmother. She's always very kind to me. And then one day she died and I went, ah, oh. Now, what's funny about that is she died. So you, th you would think she wasn't okay because she just died, right? But she's okay and I'm not okay, right? So, she, so that means she triggered something in me. And what this feeling is, if you break it down, if you separate it from what triggers it, and you say, what is this in me? This is my heart calling my focus of awareness to come back home inside to its source in life which is where my wholeness lives which is where there's perfect peace where there's unconditional love in fact life unconditionally loves my body and if you really go deeper into it actually i am that energy i am not this body so if i said to you jacqueline whose whose body is that you know, most people would say, oh, that's my body. Well, well, you've just told me that you're not the body. You just told me you're the owner of the body. So then who are you as the owner of the body? And that's what part of that inner exploration is about, to get in touch with that, to, to become one with that, and to feel the unconditionally love, the unconditional love, that you in your essence and every human being and life in its essence is. And when you feel that, you feel so cared for that, that your life changes because it's not anymore like, how can I get something for myself? How can I get myself taken care of? No, you're already taken care of when you bring your awareness to where that care is. And now it's like, okay, well, it's not about me anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm taken care of. Where can I help? What needs to be done? How can I big the, make the biggest splash for good that I can make in one body, in one lifetime? It completely changes the orientation, the way I live, the way I think, just because I finally came home the thirst went away because I felt cared for. And now I'm whole. And I've always been whole because this has always been in me. And every human being has always been whole. But we've always looked for wholeness 
where it isn't instead of where it is. I love that. (laughs) Thirst of the heart. I feel like that definitely makes you think a lot deeper. Was it a specific moment that made you discover this or like a series of moments? How was that journey leading up to this? Well, well, I can tell you this, that I don't remember when I first felt it, but probably pretty early in my life. But I, what I remember is when I was 17, I had just started university. I think maybe I was in my second year university. I started to feel it and I couldn't shake it. You know, because what we usually do when we feel this thirst of the heart, heartache, whatever you call it, when we feel that we don't like that feeling because it's uncomfortable and it can be pretty intense. So we either distract ourselves from it by just doing something else. Could be anything, could be anything, right? Either we distract ourselves or we deny it or we try to ignore it or we try to explain it away or we blame it on something or someone. That's how we usually deal with it. But actually, this is the greatest gift we've been given other than being alive, because it's the call to come home. If that call wasn't there and didn't continue to remind us to come back home, we would get lost and we would never find our way home. It's kind of like this ache of the heart is for fulfillment or for wholeness or for peace or for unconditional love what hunger is for food, what thirst is for water. You know, if you never got thirsty, you'd probably get dehydrated until you died. If you never got hungry, you'd probably, one day you'd become so thin that the wind would blow you away, right? And this is, this is a hunger. This is a need for something. Now, where that started, well, it wasn't in my mother's body. When I was in my mother's body, in my mother's womb, I call it the Buddha tank, right? Well, there was nothing to do and nowhere to go. Everything was taken care of and it was safe. And so here, here, here was this little creature, you know, floating around in a little tank with a, on a little cord, right? Floating around with nothing to do. So its focus of awareness was inside at rest in life. And that would be called enlightened or enlightened, right? The Buddhists call it enlightenment, right? Well, there's light inside of you. Life is light. If you sit down and you do a, 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 like a stillness practice <clears throat> and you look into the darkness when you close your eyes, if you look deep enough into the darkness, you will discover there's light in that darkness. So there's your enlightenment. So what we're trying to do in, in meditation or in stillness practices or in inward moving of awareness practices is getting back to the state we were in when we were in our mother's body. But then when we got born, everything changed because now it was like you had to cry for your breast milk and you had to cry for your diaper change and you had to cry for being uncomfortable or cold. And then you know, then mom figured out what your needs were and met them as best she could. And then you had to learn language so you could express what your needs were. And you had to get to know the world in which you needed to survive because, uh, because there, you know, there, there are things that are dangerous there 
as well as things that are beautiful there. And so you had to be able to assess, is this whatever, whenever something changed, is this friend or is this foe? Do I run or do I go closer or do I ignore it because it's irrelevant to my survival? So we had to learn that. So, so life arranged it that our awareness automatically went out into the world. And now our awareness is present outside, but absent inside, when in the mother's womb, it was present inside, but absent outside. So this is just a shift of the focus of awareness. And when we got disconnected from ourselves in that journey, this, by the way, is a normal, natural journey every human being goes through. That's where heartache began. Because heartache is the, is the feeling of our disconnection from ourselves. Right? So that start, And now sometimes people say, oh, well, trauma is the first time something I had, I had trauma. And that's when I remember my heart aching. Well, trauma makes, you know, you can drift outward and not notice that you drifted outward until something, until something makes you aware of it. And trauma makes us aware of it, but trauma did not cause the disconnection. The disconnection is a natural process that began the moment that you were born into the world. So, <clears throat> so and, that, and all of that understanding of that comes from, not from reading books, but from my own experience of going back and recognizing what that journey is. And then trying to understand it in terms of the human life journey, right? So heartache is a, is came from our disconnection. I couldn't shake it after I was seventeen, and that's what made me search. There's something, there's some, you know, pain makes you gets your attention and said there's something you need to pay attention to here. Something needs to change, and so, so th that happened when I was seventeen. But I'm sure that I experienced it in other times, like maybe when my dad hit me or, you know, whatever, whatever it was. It was a crazy, pretty crazy childhood. But every, every childhood is crazy. And there's trauma in every childhood. You know, I have a grandson who lives with me. He's four and a half years uh, old. And every day he, he cries about something. You know, he bangs this, you know, he, <laughs> you know he's, he's very active. So he bangs into things, you know. So every day he has trauma. And in a way, it's like every time something like that happens, it is a reminder that we are no longer safe and taken care of inside a, 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 you know, a protective space. You know, we've left the Buddha tank. So now we're trying to get back into, not into the womb, but back into the state of being we were in when we were in that safe place. And that's why people say to you, if you want to do meditation, then find a safe space that where you're not going to be distracted and then sit with your ache or sit as still as you can and see how deep you can go into that stillness that is in the, in the space your body occupies and discover what you find there and see how long you can stay there and do this on a regular basis every day, just like you eat breakfast and go to the bathroom every day. Do this every day because, and then become good at bringing your awareness back inside. The more you do it, the better you get. And you get to a point where you could pretty much just go there at will. And then you're free. 
and then you're really free because you actually now have choice. You're not reacting. You, you have time to respond and it changes the quality of your life. Super beautiful. I love everything you just described about meditation because I feel like this mm -hmm. is something that I'm learning right now and meditation is something still pretty new to me because I've mm -hmm. only started it maybe one or two years ago. And I'm curious, how did you first get into meditation? How did you discover the power of it? Was it easy for you? And kind of what advice do you have for people who want mm. to start this? Right. Uh, I, I got to it when I was 30. You know, I did some psychedelics. The psychedelics were very good for blowing the door open for me as a, because I, I was, I was very, I was very tightly wound as a, as a war child. And so I was very serious and I just serious and studious and not much fun, actually, <laughs> you know, and, and shy, really shy. And, and, and psychedelics blew the door open. It was like, oh my God, there's so many, we have so many options of how to live our life. So then we have choices, <laughs> but they had so many choices. It took a while to figure it out. But that was really useful. But I got to a point where I said, you know, is the experience in the psychedelic or is the experience in me? And it's like, no, well, the experience, there's no experience in the psychedelic. <laughs> there's the experiences in me. Well, there must be a way to get to that experience without the psychedelic. Because if the experience is already in me, then somehow there must be a way for me to be able to become aware of the experience that's already in me. And so I decided I wasn't going to do any psychedelics for two years. And in that time, I met, a, I, I was 30 at this point, I met a 14-year-old boy who uh, I just, just, I had said to the, the woman I lived with the night before, I said, you know, I know there's a perfection within me. And I sort of tapped my chest when I said, I know there's a perfection within me. And I had had glimpses of it sometimes. I know I'm not connected to it. And I need to, and I've been trying to figure it out for probably four, five, 10 years. I need to find someone who can show me a step because there's a step I'm missing. And the next day I heard it, we were living in the mountains in Colorado up in 9,100 feet in a cabin that should have been heaven. And I was in hell. And I realized it was my attitude that was the problem. <laughs> not my surroundings. It's like, I don't even know how I developed this attitude. I don't know how to change it. And so I kind of became open to, to getting some outside input from a good source. So they talked about this, this guy, that he was a perfect master, whatever that was, but I had perfection in my mind. I said, I got to see this guy. So I hitchhiked to see him 200 miles. And he talked two days for, for an hour each. I just remember one sentence. The sentence was, the peace you search for in the world is within you. And I can show you how to connect to that peace. And that was like really big for me because I was, you know, I was preoccupied with peace all my life because I came out of a war. And I thought, then I thought, well, this guy's 14, I'm 30. You know, I've been around. What's a 14-year-old going to teach me? I don't think this is, is a happening thing. But then I thought, well, just in case he can, maybe I don't want to miss it. But if he can, I'll just keep looking. So I was very, very skeptical. And then he showed me a method. And I, th I thought the method was too simple. 
And my idea was, well, you know, we got finally made it to the moon. This was 1972, right? So we made it to the moon in, I think, 1969. It was unbelievably complicated. We haven't made it to peace yet. So peace must be more complicated than going to the moon. <laughs> it just turns out not to be true, but that's how, the, how I was thinking about it. And so he said, well, you know, give knowledge. He called it knowledge. Like the knowledge is the know-how to bring your awareness inside. The know-how that to bring your awareness that's always wandering out there, bring it inside. And uh, he said, give it a fair chance, you know, because you're starting from scratch. You know, you're, not, you're usually not really good at something when you're starting from scratch. And I, he didn't say what that was. I said, okay, I'll try it for six months. And if it works, I'll, if I notice a difference, I'll keep doing it. And if I don't, I'll just keep looking. So my, my ex and I used to argue every day, every day. We had these horrendous arguments. I would just say one thing, one sentence, and she'd immediately take the opposite view, and then we'd go into it. And I always wanted her to agree with me, and she never did. <laughs> and so we would get into these really crazy, loud arguments. And I would get so frustrated. It was like, I'm, I'm either I'm going to hit her or I, go, I, I need to leave the room. So I would go into the woods and I sit down on a log and do this practice for like five or 10 minutes. I couldn't sit still longer than that in those days. You know, he suggested an hour. <laughs> I couldn't sit still that long. Five or 10 minutes. And I was just like, we argued about that. How trivial. And then I, and then I learned that if I did the practice before the argument, I wouldn't get into it. I would just not rise in the bait. I'd just stay in, a, in a, stay in a quieter place. And I didn't have to be right. And she could just say what she wanted to say. And I could just feel what I wanted to feel, but not be, you know, I, I call it rising to the bait, right? And so within six months, I said, wow, this works. So I, so I continued to do it. In terms of sitting still, you know, a lot of people, they find it really hard to sit still. Of course, because we're, we're human beings, but we become human doings. We're addicted to thinking and we're addicted to doing stuff, right? So the idea of, okay, now stop and don't think and just be, that's like a, that's a tall order. That's like telling a baby to, to run around the block, right? When a baby starts, it sees people walking, but it doesn't know how to do it. And then it tries to, falls on the schnoz, tries to, falls on the schnoz, right? Tries to, tries to, tries to, and little by little, never quits. Little by little gets better and better and better and better. And two years old, it's running around the block. But we're starting from scratch because we've practiced going out with our awareness for so long. And now we're saying, now let's just bring it in just the same way, bring it in. It's not that easy. It takes practice. That's the whole point. And your, your change in the outside world will always draw you out. Coming in will always have to be deliberate. So the one happens automatically, coming back is deliberate. Heartache is such a great gift because it gets you that close to where you're trying to go. That close. Less than a hair's breadth behind your heartache is your wholeness, is your peace, is your love, is your, is your, your contentment, is your is your, your joy that far. And so it just requires you take the time, you make the time because you feel the need. That's what makes meditation relevant. You feel that need, 
if you understand that that's about you sitting down and finding your way behind it, then, then the practice begins to make sense. When I started, uh, I basically, I said, oh man, this is so hard. And then one day it occurred to me, gee, what would happen if I said, wow, this is really easy. And, and I didn't, I had nothing to go on. I just said a different set of words. And when I started saying, wow, this is so easy, I literally sat down and started to be able to meditate and it became easy. So that means when I said it was hard, I was actually making it hard by proclaiming that, right? And I see, I hear people now say, oh yeah, I sit, I sit down, oh, it's so boring. I can't do it because it's so boring. Well, if you knew that when, you, when you're at boredom, notice how much peace is in the boredom. Because when there's nothing going on, there's, there's a lot of peace there, right? Notice the peace and recognize that you're, you're going in the right direction because you're now out of your momentum of doing, out of your addiction of doing. You haven't quite made it to the light yet or to the, to the sound or to the feeling, the, the love. But, you, but you're, you're heading in the right direction. So when you go from addiction to wholeness, there's a point where there's neither one or the other. So that, that boredom is a good sign. So fall in love with the boredom because you're, you're, you're heading in the right direction. Wow, I feel like all of that was such wonderful advice. I can completely relate to how you said you just switched your mindset from thinking it was hard to easy. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's kind of a simple switch that we can do in so many other aspects of our life yeah. too. It's kind of like practicing affirmations Mm -hmm. and yeah I've, I've just been practicing that a lot so it's it's so simple yet not always easy right well it's yeah because we have momentum and beliefs right this thing this guy who showed me how to go in and do that practice self-knowledge he said one time there's nothing wrong with beliefs as long as you don't believe them and i thought wow that is so cool because we made all that stuff up Either we made it up or our culture made it up or our parents made it up or somebody made it up. It's all made up, right? And sometimes it's made up in a certain situation where it seems like that's a good idea to have that belief. And often it's in a traumatic situation and then you make a decision to create a belief about it and then you carry that with you, but you never ever in that trauma situation again. And why are you carrying a belief about trauma and letting that rule your life right so then the, then and then you say okay if nothing you believe is true belief is not truth right nothing you believe is true so why not make up something really good that serves you and that serves the rest of the world you know you can make up what <laughs> you can make up what the masters made up just make it up yeah, I would like 8 billion people to live their lives lit up from within because the light is already there. It's a matter of looking into it instead of looking away from it. When they do that, they will feel so cared for, they won't steal each other's stuff. When they stop stealing each other's stuff, they can live in harmony. When we live in harmony, it is not difficult to make sure that every person's basic needs are met on a long-term sustainable basis 
right? It's not complicated, but I just made that up, right? Yeah. But it makes sense to, to, to now see what can I do to make that a reality. And that's how you, that's how you find a mission or a purpose, right? Because it makes sense. It really makes sense that people could live in, in peace. People could live in harmony. You know, when we don't cultivate peace, we drift towards conflict and war. And I think you can see it happening in the world everywhere. People have, are, are sh more short-tempered, less accepting, less tolerant, you know. And it doesn't matter whether you look at the environment or you look at the politics or you look at the relationships or you look at health. Those are, I think, <laughs> four pretty big arenas, right? Everywhere, it's getting worse. Why is it getting worse? Well, uh, I can explain it. In my relation, in my ex-relationship, you know, I saw the beauty in her. She saw the beauty in me. I thought, oh my God, she's going to complete me. He, I, she thought, oh my God, here's the guy who's going to complete me. And then, so then we got started getting together and we found out how much we're in denial of the beauty that each saw in the other. How, you know, I didn't feel beautiful. She didn't feel beautiful. I saw the beauty. She saw the beauty, but not in ourselves. And then the, when it came to love in the relationship, you want to have a relationship of love, right? That's the whole idea, right? Well, she thought her love was going to come from me. And I thought my love was going to come from her. But I couldn't get in touch with the love in me to bring it into the relationship. And she couldn't get in touch with the love in her to bring it in the relationship. So, well, if neither person in a relationship of love can get to the love that they want to bring into the relationship, then where's the love in the relationship going to come from? And the truth is it didn't come. That's why we're not together anymore. Right? So we need to do homework first. Before we get into the relationship, we need to be able to get to the love that, we, that needs to be brought into the relationship. When I have a good relationship of love with my own life, then I'm ready for a relationship with someone else. You know, if, I'm, you know if, I, if I don't have a good relationship of love with my own life, why would anybody be able to trust me to have a relationship of love with their life? Doesn't make sense. So we all have homework to do. And what's missing in all the problems in the world is that individually, we are not doing enough homework. We're not doing the homework as a, as a group. There's a few people doing homework, you know, but it, everybody has homework to do. And when everybody does their homework, this, this place will be the heaven on earth that it, that it actually is. That's so true. I feel like we definitely need to <laughs> love ourselves before we can learn to love other people. And I feel like yeah. I'm definitely learning this because I found that I used to seek validation a lot from mm. external sources. Yeah. But then I realized that that would never satisfy me if I didn't validate myself. Yeah. Well, so yeah. And what you do when you're do, doing your internal practice and you get in touch with yourself, you self-validate because if you are awesome and magnificent in your nature <laughs> but you have to go inside and check it out and see that it's actually true right for sure 
what's kind of your day-to-day like for your spiritual practice? Like, do you always meditate at the same time every day or do you do it more intuitively? What's that like? Well, at the beginning, I always took it, took time aside in the morning or the evening. I like the mornings because my idea is I do my meditation lying down because the idea is I want to let go of my body and move into the, the energetic of life. Okay. And so the less pressure I have on the body, the less I have to pay attention to my body, the easier it is to do that. So I say to people, well, I like to check in to see if I'm still there when I wake up, because if I'm not there anymore, there's no point in getting out of bed. But I, but, but more on a serious note is I like to be in that feeling when I step into the world, when I step into the day. I like to be in the feeling of wholeness when I do that. Now, it used to be when I began, I would do my practice and I would feel incredible. And then I'd step out of it and I'd step out of the, out of the feeling, just like that. So I had a feeling inside. And on, on, when I was dealing with the outside, I let go of the feeling. And at one point, I got really frustrated with it. And I said, damn it, there must be a way that I can stay in the feeling when I get out of bed and drag that feeling into the world with me. And the moment that I realized that that was a possibility, I began to be able to pay more attention to it. And then I go in and out. So more and more, and I still get out, you know, I'm, you know something will happen and, and I will be, I'll go out to it instead of staying here and going out to it. Because you can also stay here and go into the world at the same time. But, you ha- but that takes deliberate practice. You have to want to do that. You have to set that as a standard for yourself. And then you see every time you don't hit the standard, you say, okay, what do I have to learn here? Right? And then you go back to it and back to it and back to it. And then with time, you get better and better and better. Right? So, um, so, so that's what I do first. Um, I'm, I'm a lot better than I was at staying in that feeling when I'm doing, when I'm doing work, I'm still working on it though. I'm going to, it's a, I'm a work in progress. We're all works in progress, right? But if you compare it to what it was like 30 years ago or 50 years ago, or before I actually started to do the, this inner journey, uh, unbelievably far I've come but you know you could look in the front and say unbelievable far I still gotta go (laughs) right so and it'll always be that way because my senses will always be drawn out into the world by change and I will always have to bring them back deliberately so it's about conscious living living consciously you know living I I, you know I still have some of that childhood stuff from the war in, in my body and I notice sometimes when I'm walking down the road and I start thinking about things that could go wrong, it's like anxiety thinking. And I, I'll actually start going like this. And that's, it's anxiety. Horses do that when they get excluded from the herd for, for not, you know, for not being good, good herd members. And they, they you know, so, so it's in there, but it's not there when I'm conscious. It's there when I drift. Right. So I will always, so subconscious living, you know, there's, you cannot become unconsciously conscious of consciousness, right? There's this thing that people say, oh, well, if you want to develop a habit, 
you know, the way you do it is first, you don't even notice that you've got the habit. And so you just do it. Then you notice, but you do it anyway. Then you notice and, and you can deliberately not do it. And then after you get good at it, it becomes unconscious. So you've changed the habit and now you're unconsciously doing the new, new habit. So you've really uh, put it into your system, right? Well, you can't do that with consciousness. You cannot become unconscious of consciousness. <laughs> you will always have to be conscious of consciousness. There is no unconscious consciousness, right? So that, that system that we use for our formulas and our behaviors and our attitudes does not apply to this one arena, the most important arena in life, which is about being conscious, right? And what does, it, what does it mean to be conscious? To be present in the space that your body occupies. And, it, and, and the goal is to be present in all, of the, in all of your own being and your surroundings, connected, not lost in thoughts in your head. And then it, life becomes easy because then you're there and you can respond because you're actually present, right? If you know, if you, in, like I've noticed when I start thinking, I go both blind and deaf, right? Because you, you start thinking and then you don't notice what's going on in your environment. And people will ring my doorbell when I'm, when I'm doing one of my whatever writings, usually what I'm doing, right? Somebody will ring my doorbell, I won't hear it. And then either somebody will come and say, hey, somebody, somebody's here to see you. Or I miss it. And they say, I came to your house and it's at one o'clock and you said you were going to be there, but I, you never answered the door. I said, well, I was there. <laughs> I never heard the doorbell. Did you ring the doorbell? Yeah, I rang the doorbell. I never heard it. So when we get focused, sometimes we miss a lot. So to be focused on being present in our own being and the world is really a good way to live because then whatever emerges you see it coming and you, you you can deal with it and and you have the you know you have all your faculties available to you because you're fully present in in everything and that's basically i would say that's the the master the that's the mastery of life that's what the masters had mastered being fully present in their own being and their surroundings. And every human being can do that. Because we have that same, we have that, we're, we're made the same way. And that's what the masters all said in one way or another. What I have, you have. You know, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. You know, more than me, more than I, you will do because of what I've shown you. Right. So, so they not, none of them say, oh, like, like I'm really cool and you guys are really messed up. <laughs> none of them said that. None of them. Right. So it's, we're living in a time where that mastery become, is becoming really important. That's, I think that's the big transformation everybody's looking for. The second coming. You know, the, 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 the fact that what the masters talked about is human nature. They were fully present in theirs. So that's why they could be, could talk about. It. You can't, you can't be a master and on, and only be an academic, because so much of a human nature is not academic, is not just thought thought process. 
but fully present. That's awesome. I feel like I really enjoyed what you said about being conscious mm. and how whenever you catch yourself feeling anxious and you just transform your thoughts and your mind in that, in that step, I feel like that's very mm. helpful and something that I'm learning too. Mm-hmm. We, we are coming close to the end of our episode today, but I do yeah. want to ask you, so I know you have a lot of uh, books, writings, material available for everyone online. What mm. would you suggest to people check out first? I'm going to leave some links in the description. Okay. <clears throat> well, it depends on what your, what your goal is. You know, so if you want to just be physically healthier than udoschoice.com udoschoice.com that's a website where i talk about oils and why we made oils with health in mind and talk about digestion and enzymes probiotics that are very physically very helpful because you got to give your body its due too right not just you know we've talked mostly about not the body but but you got to give everything its due if you're interested in uh, we have some courses and some educational materials uh, udoerasmus.com or the udo, T-H-E-U-D-O.com. And there we have, I have a book, an overview book of what we've been talking about, the nature of human nature, and uh, looking at the eight key parts of health designed by nature. Because each one of them affects health, and you got to give each one of them its due, and they're all different in their nature, different in their function, need a different kind of attention on a regular basis, go off in a different way and respond to a different kind of intervention. So when you, when you live aligned with all eight parts of nature and your nature, then I call that total sexy health. Because, and sexy from the point of view that sexy is the power word. Sexy is when you're full on, you're, you're really present, you know, because what, what makes a person sexy is, is literally when they're in their power, when they're in their energy, when they're in their feeling, when they're in their own space, when they occupy the space, when they fully occupy the space they live in, right? And, uh, and each one of these eight parts confers some of that to you. And when you get out of line in any part, then some of what it, that, con, that sexy goes. And when you realign, you get it back. That's the model. Total Sexy Health. Uh, very, very cool overview, even if you don't like the sexy part. But it's a, it's a power word. Look at people use sexy to sell everything. I decided to use sexy to sell you on your own magnificence. And I think that's the best way to use that particular power word. So, awesome. so yeah, so. And there's other, we have some courses and, and we talk, we have a course on, I think it's called the happiness course where we talk about how do you deal with anxiety? It came out of lockdown. We did the course before the lockdown, but it's the lockdown certainly made people aware of their anxieties and how, and then the question, how do you deal with that? So we have a course on that. We have a course on fitness and, and health, and a bunch of other stuff. Amazing. I'll make sure to leave some links in the description (laughs) for everyone to go check out. I just have one last question. This is just a fun one for myself. I'm a big astrology nerd. So I'm just very curious what your zodiac sign is. Oh, uh, you want to guess? Oh, I have so many guesses. I 
feel like you might be an Aquarius. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, no, I'm Taurus. I'm oh, Taurus. interesting. Okay. I'm, I'm Taurus by birth, but Leo by conception. Okay. Right, because I think life begins at conception. Yeah. And uh, and when it comes to the circle, you know the the, the zodiac circle. Yeah. There's a there's a circle in the center, and then there's a circle around it, and that's divided into twelve pieces. Yes. I like to live in the middle circle. Mm. Right. Amazing. The middle <laughs> circle, and then every year I go through through twelve signs. Yeah. So I don't spend a lot of time with astrology. I think there's interesting wisdom in it. Uh, but I've always wanted to be in a way beyond astrology because I think, I think the core of existence is beyond astrology. It's beyond any theory. It's beyond any uh, topic that we've created. And I like more than anything to be in that. I think, I think where Mars and Venus are affects me, but maybe not as much as the truck that is that drives over my uh, over my flowers outside my door, <laughs> right? So you know, but but uh, that that's just the way I think about it. No, I love that. I respect yeah. that. I feel like that's a <laughs> very good way to look at it. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like you shared so much wisdom, and I feel like all our listeners will benefit from that. So thank you so much for your time. All right, thank you, Declan. Thank you.